Okay, and then this message this morning is on the consummation of everything. And what is that? New Jerusalem. So real quick, before the brother shares, I'd like to tell a little story um, to young people. Anybody here young? Any young men? Well, there were two young men in history, and one of them came to a real famous person, a politician. His name was uh, William Gladstone, and he came. He was a prime minister of Britain. When Britain ruled the world, they had 22% control of the earth, 13 million square miles they owned, and this is when the, the word came out that the sun never sets on Britain, meaning they had, they had properties around the world, and they were the most powerful empire. And, of course, we've benefited very much the world's English. English is the first language. So a very famous man. He was a prime minister for four terms and uh, was in a prominent position and so at the end of his life he gave a speech where he talked about a very ambitious young man anybody here young yes and he came to him and told him that he admired him more than anyone living currently that day and he wanted advice for his life and here's what how the conversation went gladstone asked him now this is a prime minister of britain at the peak of the ruling of that uh, country over the whole globe Gladstone asked him, what do you hope to do when you graduate from college, young man? The young man replied, I hope to attend law school, sir, just as you did. That's noble, said Gladstone. What then? I hope to practice law and make a good name for myself, defending the poor, just as you did. Wow, that's a noble purpose, Gladstone said. What then? I would hope to serve the government as prime minister with the same vigor, dedication, vision, and integrity as you did. Gladstone replied, that is very good. What then? I hope to retire with honors and write memoirs, even as you are presently doing, so that others can learn from my mistakes and triumphs. That is very noble, Gladstone said, but what, but what then? The young man paused for a moment and said, I guess, I guess I will probably die. Eventually, I will die. Gladstone said, that is correct. You will. And then what? The young man looked very puzzled and said, well, sir, I haven't given that much thought. Gladstone then responded, young man, the only advice I have for you is to go home, read the Bible, and think about eternity. And that's what this message is on this morning. There was one more young man that came to him. Uh, I'll read just a little quote. Mr. Gladstone, a very famous politician in England, said in his old age to a young missionary. This is now another conversation with another person to a young missionary. Gladstone speaking, sir, you are still young. I give you my blessing for going again to preach the gospel in foreign countries. By the way, Gladstone was a devout Christian. Unfortunately, I am already old. Although I have succeeded to become the most important man on the political stage, and although I have been a pillar and have spent much time and energy in England, I regret the time spent in the past. If I had three lives, I would spend every one of them to preach the Word of God. Today I'm unable to do so because the strongest and best time of my life has been eaten up. Therefore, I encourage you to run for the Lord and the Gospel. And then one more quote from a well-known Bible teacher. There's nothing more tragic than to come to the end of your life and know that you have been on the wrong course all along. So I hope we'll take this message to heart this morning. This is the consummation of God's eternal purpose. So we should be thinking beyond next year, graduation, that job. Let's learn from some other young men and let's go ahead. What a setup.
Oh, Lord Jesus. Well, I must say that seeing 734 people staring at me makes my knees shaky. Uh, but I also love to see 734 young people crazily loving the Lord Jesus. Amen. So we come to this last message, and, uh, you know, I like, uh, I'm, I'm glad Tim mentioned those stories. Uh, I was in Scotland recently, and my, my last name is Kennedy, and uh, uh, so, you know, Kennedy originates from Ireland and Scotland, and they have uh, clans, uh, Scottish clans and Irish clans, and so you can go there and, you know, they have all these uh, cups and logos and things everywhere, and you can see your crest. And so I found the Kennedy crest from Scotland, and I really like it. Well, it has a funny-looking picture of a fish. You can't see it from here, but it has a Latin, I think it's Latin, it says, Avise la fin. What does, that, what does that mean? Who knows Latin? Anybody? Avise la fin. I think I'm saying it right. What do you think that means? Consider the end. Consider the end. So I, I got a little keychain for it. I really like that. Consider the end. So what we're going to do this morning is consider the end. Uh, just a little review of the last um, messages. You know, the first one, we got uh, burned into us, and that was about what? God has a plan. And uh, Christ accomplished this plan. And the Spirit applies what Christ has accomplished. And when the Spirit applies... What Christ has accomplished, what's produced? And the church brings in, and the kingdom issues in. So what's the end? Yes, we got to consider the end. And then you all got into and you spoke the uh, person and work of Jesus Christ. And then uh, Brother uh, uh, Victor got into the person and work of the Spirit. And we saw a lot there. The Lord is working today on us. Don't you feel like the Lord is working on you? Don't you feel even this weekend... Uh, the Lord's been working and operating in you, and I believe that tomorrow when you go home, or today when you go home, tomorrow you're going to be a little bit different than you were before you came to this conference. Okay, and then uh, yesterday, we saw Brother Carriard showed us what? A revelation of the church, and the church is what? The church is the body of Christ, of which we all are members. We're members of the body of Christ, and the church is growing, it's increasing, we're growing with the growth of God, and eventually the church issues in what? It brings in the kingdom, which issues in the new Jerusalem. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning, and uh, my notes, if you can see all the different colors here, uh, the brothers gave me a big topic. Actually, they said, would you like to do the kingdom and the new Jerusalem and split it, or just the new Jerusalem? I looked, and I was like, how could anybody do this? Uh, how could anybody cover the new Jerusalem in just one meeting? So anyhow, we can't cover everything, but... Uh, we'll cover a lot, I believe. And I'd like to, uh, firstly, uh, begin with some, some main points. Uh, firstly, number one is that the book of Revelation, where we see the New Jerusalem, is a book of signs. And if you look on message five, turn to message five, where at number one it says a book of signs. Let's all read that first verse. This is the first verse of the book of not Revelations. We always say Revelations, Revelation, singular. Okay, and we'll see why that is. Okay, let's read Revelation 1 1. Ready? Go. Okay, so here it says the revelation of what? Yeah, it's, a, it's of whom? It's of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation, yes, it has the destiny of the world, it has the Antichrist, it has flying locusts, it has all kinds of things in it but it's primarily a revelation of Jesus Christ, a person. And then it says that uh, this revelation he made known by what? By signs. And what is a sign? A sign is a symbol with spiritual significance. And you have here, uh, well, actually, the, in the, in the uh, parentheses, um, it says, uh, Revelation 1.20, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So in that very first chapter, we have a symbol, the seven lampstands, and we have an interpretation. Uh, John, uh, the Lord said, uh, look, this, these uh, seven local churches, and John turned and he saw seven golden lampstands. And then the Lord interpreted the seven lampstands for him. He said, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So right at the very beginning, the Lord set a pattern. Here's a sign, and here's the interpretation. And there's signs all throughout the book of, of Revelation because the revelation was made known by signs. So look at some of these obvious signs in, in the book of Revelation. You have the Lion of Judah. 
in uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Obviously, the Lord was not there as a physical lion. This referred to a reality, a spiritual reality. The Lord here had just defeated and overcome Satan on the cross, and he was of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of the kingship. So he was the, he was the fighter and the overcomer to the enemy. And then the next verse, it said he saw a lamb having just been slain, a freshly slain lamb. Obviously, the Lord was not there as a lamb that was just slain. No, this was referring to a spiritual reality. This is very obvious obvious to us, a spiritual reality. Here was Christ. He had just been crucified. He had rose from the dead, and he ascended, and he was there in the heavens, having just been slain. So there's a reality here. To the enemy, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. To us, he's what? A lamb slain for us. And then we go on in uh, chapter 4, verse 3. You have God on the throne with the appearance of a jasper jasper stone. Now, do you think God was sitting there on a throne, and he was a big green stone? No, I mean, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, but there's a reality there. Jasper is a rich green color, and uh, it signifies the transmittable and communicable glory of God. He's rich in color. We're going to see the New Jerusalem also bears this same color because God wants to communicate his glory to us. Okay, then we go on. You have a great red dragon. This symbolizes Satan. Not, there wasn't really a big, great dragon there. Then you had a woman standing on the moon, clothed with the sun, and you brought forth a child. I don't even know how you could even slightly think this was a physical object. I mean, here you had a woman standing on the moon and then clothed with the sun. I mean, I don't know what kind of cataclysmic events would happen if that happened. Uh, So obviously, it, it signified some spiritual reality. The woman was an aggregate, a composition of all of God's people from the Old Testament and the New Testament. You had the moon representing the Old Testament saints in the law. You had the sun, which represents the New Testament saints. Uh, the, the moon, it was under the feet, it was over with. That time period is over with. Now you have the bright shining sun. Now the Christ has come and he's with the church. Then you have the, tw- the 12 uh, stars above his head, signifying the, the patriarchs before the law. So it's, a, it's a, a, a spiritual reality. This is just a symbol with spiritual reality. And then you can go on the great prostitute, Babylon the Great, the beast coming up out of the, out of the sea. So most Christians um, recognize this. These are signs with spiritual reality. But for some reason, when they get to the last, the ultimate, and the greatest sign in the Bible, the New Jerusalem, most Christians, I don't know if most, but many, I think most, most Christians, for some reason, think that this is a physical and material city. They don't transfer what they've applied to all the other signs in the book of Revelation to this last and great sign, uh, realizing that there's this new Jerusalem represents a spiritual reality. And every item and every aspect and every characteristic of the new Jerusalem represents some spiritual reality. So we're going to talk a little bit, little bit today about what the new Jerusalem is not and what it is. Okay, so I hope, I hope that's clear. This uh, new Jerusalem is a great sign. Okay, the second thing I wanted to mention uh, is that to see the new Jerusalem, we need to be in spirit. And so, how about let's read this verse under that second uh, double-starred portion, Revelation 21.10a. Let's read that together. Amen. Okay. Uh, we need to be in spirit to see this city. Don't think that you can just use your mind, uh, even your logical mind to understand the city. You need to use your mind. And you actually need to logically consider this thing. I hope you would exercise your logical mind as we're considering the New Jerusalem. But even more so, we need to exercise our spirit. And how do we exercise our spirit? Well, one way, as we've been practicing all weekend, is to call on the name of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, No one can say, Jesus is Lord, or Lord Jesus is except in the Holy Spirit. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says that the Lord is the Spirit. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.22, the Lord be with your spirit. And then one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 6.17, what? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And even uh, Romans 8.9 says that the Spirit of God dwells in us. So, when we call Lord Jesus, where do we get? Where do we go? We, we go to our spirit. We get into our spirit and into the Holy Spirit. 
So, before we go any further, touching the New Jerusalem with our logical mind to understand, let's get to our spirit and call on the Lord three times. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay, now we're in the right position and condition to see something concerning the New Jerusalem. Okay, now, what the New Jerusalem is not. You know, it's a great error. It's very illogical and unreasonable uh, to consider the New Jerusalem as a physical and material city. And uh, I hope I'm not bursting any bubbles here. Uh, well, actually, no, I'd like to burst some bubbles here this morning. Um, because the view out there among most Christians that the New Jerusalem is a physical and material city is too low. It's not to belittle this, this thinking. There's reasons why most of Christianity thinks this way, and we've been taught this. And, and so I, I'm not belittling if you've had this view before you come to this conference. Not belittling that view in any way uh, personally. But uh, we need to bring that view up much higher. Uh, the, the view that the New Jerusalem is a material and physical city is a natural man-thought. But God has another way of thinking, and His thinking is much higher than ours. So this weekend, uh, we'd like to bring you up to the highest God-thought. Okay, one of the reasons why uh, we kind of consider, or many Christians consider, that the New Jerusalem is a physical and material city is because of a very poor translation in the King James Bible. Now, I like the King James Bible. It's a great Bible. I think, uh, actually, who was it that said, uh, anyhow, a famous person said that England made Shakespeare, but the Bible made England. And the Bible they were referring to was the King James Bible. Actually, the way it, the, the language construct and the rhythm of the wording in that Bible is very, very good. But King James has a number of places where they've translated things in a very poor way. And this is a big one, maybe the biggest one. And that is, it says... In, in John 4, 2, in my father's house, oh wait, how does it go? Yeah, in my father's house are many mansions. Now, when you hear the word mansion, what do you think of? Yeah, a big, great house, you know, when we die, we're going to go to heaven and there's going to be a mansion prepared for us. Maybe our beloved pets will be there with us. If you like golf, you'll have this wonderful golf course and it'll never get boring. Uh, I mean, I don't know what, we just have... These, these thoughts, or maybe we don't think about it that much. We've just accepted this physical, material concept. Um, anyhow, this is a poor translation. And what's interesting is King James Bible itself, in verse 23, translates this word, same exact word, not as mansions, but as abode. And you'll see this later. So even in the King James Bible, in the same chapter, it says mansions, and then it says abode. Well, abode uh, is a much better word. Abode signifies a dwelling place. So God, yes, is. In, in uh, the Father's house, there is a dwelling place for us, as we'll see. But there's no mansion in the sky when we die, okay? So that is a very wrong concept, and I hope you'll, you'll uh, see this very clearly as we go through. Um, one very clear proof I'd like to read, and uh, these verses, or at least one of them, is you'll see later on. Revelation 21.2 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. By the way, our thought is always to get to heaven, but here we see the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. Some people actually think that the new Jerusalem is heaven, but you can see that would be impossible if it's coming down out of heaven. So uh, here we have coming down out of heaven from God, what? Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. A city bride. Okay, and then uh, in verse 9 and 10 it says, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then what did he show him? It says, He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Okay, now I'd like to illustrate this. Maybe you have two brothers. Maybe brothers, if you can come up here real quick. I just want you to see how uh, illogical this is to consider that the New Jerusalem is a physical and material city. Okay, brother, let's say you, okay, Sawyer, and uh, what's your name, brother? Solomon. Solomon. Sawyer and Solomon. Okay. Solomon here is going to be a physical and material city. Okay. Now, Sawyer is a person. Sawyer is the church. Okay. Now, the Lord, he had on, in his heart's desire, he wanted to be joined to man. He wanted to be one with man in such a way that he and man will be mingled together. 
and even incorporated in one another, to dwell in one another. And so he, he had this great desire in his heart. It, it, it's what made his heart pump every day. I want the church. I want the church. Okay, the church is marvelous. I'm willing to even die for the church because this man that I created messed up. Oh, I'm willing to die for the church because I love the church so much. I'm willing to do everything for the church. I'm willing to make a, an economy and a plan to get this church because I want to be one with this church, this person. And who's the church? We are. Yeah, all the believers of Christ compose the church. So he goes through a process. He dies on the cross. He resurrects. He ascends to the heavens. Even now today in the heavens, he's operating as the Spirit convicting people and, and uh, you know saving people, redeeming people, all these kinds of things. And then at the very end, He's about to marry. You know, you have the, the wedding day of a thousand years, uh, which is like one day, Peter says, and he's going to have a, a great wedding day with the one that's been on his heart that he's desired after. And he's going to live with this one for eternity. Okay, this one that he loves. Then here we go. The great wedding day, and it's presented to him in physical and material city. Be- beautiful, you know, it's the gold and silver and precious stones. It kind of reminds me of, of Jacob when he wanted to marry Rachel, and then Laban, uh, her dad, tricked him, and he woke up, and there was, there was a, who uh, was, uh, Leah, yeah. It's like, Leah, ah, that was not the one that was on his heart. So anyhow, the Lord is not looking for the material and physical city. The Lord is not in love with this physical and material city. It may look beautiful, the picture, uh, but that's not what he wants. He wants the reality to which this picture is pointing to. This picture points to the reality, Yeah. Forget about the picture when the reality gets here. Yeah, we need the picture to understand the reality. But after a while, forget the picture. The picture's behind. Forget the, forget the picture. Okay, so you have the reality here. So I hope this is clear. Okay, thank you, brothers. Yeah, the Lord is not looking for a physical and material city. So we need to uh, cast aside our man thought and take God's thought. Okay, uh, the next thing I want you to mention, so that is what the New Jerusalem is not. Now, what is the New Jerusalem? Okay, two things. Number one, the New Jerusalem is a composition a composition of two peoples. The first person is the triune God himself. The second person is who? The chosen, redeemed, regenerated, transformed, and glorified people of God. That's us. So the New Jerusalem is not a physical city. It's a personal city. It's a mingling of, it's a composition of two people, of divinity and humanity. It's an actual joining and a mingling and incorporation of the triune God and His chosen people. That's us. Okay, so that's very important. The New Jerusalem is a consummation. Also, the New Jerusalem is a consummation of two processes. The first process is on the triune God's side. Did you know that the triune God was processed? Yes, He was processed. Uh, He went through what? Incarnation to become a man. He what? Died on the cross to accomplish his all-inclusive redemption. He resurrected. He became a life-giving spirit. And we saw he, as well, he also became the firstborn among many brothers. Then he ascended to the heavens. And now he was poured out as the spirit upon all of us. And he's so available and near. All we have to do is say, Lord Jesus. And whoosh, he's in. Okay? That's his process. And now he's dispensing himself into us. The other process is the process that all of us are going through. We've been chosen by God. Uh, an eternity past, and then in time we were, what, redeemed by him? We've been regenerated by him, and now he's, what, dispensing himself into us? He's transforming us. He's conforming us to the image of Christ, and then eventually one day we will all be glorified. And he's not doing this just only individually, but he's doing this in the church corporately. So this is a process. So the New Jerusalem that we see in the, in the last two chapters of the Bible is just a consummation of those two processes. Okay, very important. Okay, now lastly, I want to mention before we get into the outline, or the, the main portion of the outline, is that if we are becoming the new Jerusalem today, then what should we be today? We should match what we're becoming. So every believer, that's you and that's me, should be a little new Jerusalem. Every item and every characteristic of the New Jerusalem should be reflected in our personal life today. And also, every local church, that is, every church in the city where you're at, should be a miniature New Jerusalem. So, your church should have gates 
pearl gates that welcome all people through the redemption of Christ. There should be a flowing river. There should be the tree of life. When people come into your, the meetings of the church in which you're at, they should not touch just merely doctrine and knowledge. They should touch life. They should touch the Spirit. They should touch the, uh, the divine nature of God the Father, as we'll get into. So remember this, and actually this is the real burden. As we go through the, these uh, aspects of the New Jerusalem, we need to consider, do I match this? Do I match this? Lord, cause me to match this. And I appreciate what uh, Brother Victor was sharing with us. He gave a lot of uh, personal stories of how Victor used to be, but the Lord had, was operating in him, and eventually he changed this brother. And I think all of us, uh, you know, a week ago, a year ago, many years ago, uh, we're a lot different today than we were. The Lord has been operating in our lives. I mean, just to even expose, expose myself some, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 20-something years ago, I looked a lot different than I do now. Uh, I had long hair, and I had, a, I had an earring as well, Victor, except mine was skull and crossbones. And I, had, I always had to wear 501 button-fly Levi's. They all had holes in them. All my shirts always had, had to be cut off at the, uh, the sleeves and, you know, smoked and all these things. Uh, but listen, the Lord changed me. Amen. It wasn't a behavioral change. It's not so that one day I can, you know, wear a suit. Uh, no, it's just that the Lord is doing something. He's changing and he's, he's uh, working off all the things in us that is incompatible to him. It's not a mere behavioral or con uh, conduct change, but the Lord is doing something in us. He's changing us inwardly, and eventually everything will drop off until we match the new Jerusalem. I don't know if when you were a little child, if you ever uh, played with those toys that, I don't remember if they were square or circular, but you had to put in the, the uh, if it was a circle, it goes into the circle hole. If it was a square, it goes into the square hole. Triangle into the triangle hole. Well, we all have to fit into the new Jerusalem. Our life, our living, our Christian work has to fit into the new Jerusalem. So be careful. You're living and you're working today, uh, you have to be careful. Does it match the New Jerusalem? That's why it's good to consider the end because you want it to line up with that because whatever's not that will be burned away. Okay, so this is a, a burden here that every item of the New Jerusalem should match. Okay, now, um, how about what I'd like to do is have a little practice. Uh, I like the way the brothers have been, have been having you uh, practice speaking to one another because we don't want you to go back tomorrow and somebody says, what did you... Get into this weekend. What did you do? And you say, well, let me get my outline. And here, you can read, it with, read this with me. No. Uh, I mean, that's not bad, but that's not the best. The best is you, is you can say, you know what? We talked about the New Jerusalem. And they say, what's the New Jerusalem? And you'll say, well, it's, uh, hmm, let me get my notes. No. We want you to be able to say what the New Jerusalem is not and what the New Jerusalem is and what all the other messages were about. So we'll have a, a little practice and let's, let's start like this. How about let's all read uh, each of these points, A, B, A, B, C, D, E, and F. And then as we read these points, I'll stop and I have a little prayer that we can pray regarding each one of these points. And so um, I will say the prayer and you'll follow the prayer after me. And you can adopt these, these kind of prayers. So let's read A all together and then I would like you to follow me with a little prayer. And we'll do this for each item. Okay, A, ready? Go. Okay, so uh, a little prayer regarding this section. Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. We're going to talk about that in a little bit more. Okay, how about B? Let's read that together. Go. Okay, now follow after me. Lord Jesus, make your home in my heart. Build yourself into me. Okay, now C all together. O oh Lord, oh Lord Jesus, mingle yourself with me. Mingle yourself with me. Okay, now D. The of the and okay, Lord, transform me, Lord, transform me. Into, your image. into your image. Shine through me. Shine through okay, me. then E. Okay, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, cause me to eat and drink you every day. 
And then finally, F. Oh, Lord Jesus, make me match the New Jerusalem in every way. Okay, now with your neighbor, how about you practice those six points? You don't have to do the prayers right now, but practice speaking to one another these six points, and we'll just have a little practice. We'll even have some come up here in a minute. Amen. Okay, who wants to try to do it up here? How about two brothers? Two brothers. See if they can recite all six points up here without looking if possible. Two volunteers. What two brothers? Who will sacrifice themselves to kickstart this off? Okay, how about two sisters? Two sisters try. Oh, come on, we got... Got to have at least two people to start us off. Now try Carl. Okay, Carl and brother. How about you two brothers? Just try it. Just try Okay, so what is the New Jerusalem? Well, the consummation of the divine romance. Amen. God is the husband and his people as the bride. Amen. It's also the consummation of God's building. Amen. In the Bible, we see the tabernacle and the temple. Right. They both consummate in the New Jerusalem. Amen. The consummation of God's mingling yes. between God and man. Amen. The mutual abiding. Mutual, mutual abiding. The yeah. mingling of God and his redeemed. Yeah, yeah. good. It's also the consummation of God's transformation and glorification. Yeah. Of the believers. Of the believers. Yes, Amen. transformation and glorification, okay? Consummation of God Amen. as our life supply. Yes, Amen. as the life supply to his people. Amen. And it's also the consummation of the New Testament blessings. Of the Bible. Of the Bible. And all, and all the New, New Testament, Testament blessings and realities. Amen. Amen. Good. Okay, brothers. Okay. Two sisters. Two sisters. Two sisters. Come on, this is the last meeting. You won't have a chance after this meeting. At least in front of 734 people. When's the next chance you're going to get to stand in front of 734 people? Okay, sisters, come on. Sisters, sisters. Okay, how about, how about Aisha and, uh, and Ashlyn? Come on up. Aisha and Ashlyn. Okay, we're going to have two more brothers after this. Get, get ready. Two more brothers. Hallelujah. Okay, sisters, what is the New Jerusalem? Amen. Uh, the divine romance yeah. between God and his people. Amen. All right. The consummation of God's Building. Building. Which is the tabernacle and the temple. Okay, good. Amen. Consummation of 
Amen. Amen. Good. Next one. Amen. Yes. Confirmation. Amen. 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 The consummation of the Bible. Amen. Yes. And the all, New all. all of the New Testament. Blessings and reality. Amen. Good. Okay. Two more brothers. Two more brothers. Two more brothers. Everybody, you want to do it? You want to do it? Come on. No, no? Okay. Two more brothers. Come on, quickly. Okay, how about, let's see. Who? These two brothers. Come on, guys. Come on, brothers. How about, how about two of you? You don't got it? Who? Oh, two more. Okay, quick, brothers. These brothers do it all the time. Okay, brothers, what is the New, new Jerusalem not? It's not a physical and ma material place building. Yes, yes. Okay, what is the New Jerusalem? So the New Jerusalem is the consummation of the, the divine romance Amen. of God as the husband and his people as the bride. Amen. It's also the consummation of uh, God's building. Yes. The tabernacle and the temple, yes. Okay. It's also the consummation of the mutual no, the mutual abiding or the mingling with God with man. Amen. And his redeemed. Amen. Okay. Also the consummation. The consummation of the God's The believers. Yeah. The believers' transformation and glorification. Amen. It's also the consummation of God as the life supply to his people. Amen. Finally, small point. Consummation oh, of the, consummation of of the, the Bible. Bible and the New Testament. And all, all. All of the New Testament realities and blessings. Amen. Good. Okay. Okay. Thank you, brothers. Okay. Two sisters? Okay. Come on up. Come on. Yeah, come on up, please. The more practice, the better. Okay, sisters, what is the New Jerusalem not? Um, it's not um, um, a city, a physical Physical city. and material city, material. right. So what is the New Jerusalem? It is, it is the divine romance. The consummation. Amen. People are the bride. Amen. Number two. Um, summation of God's building. Amen. Which is? The tabernacle and temple. Temple, yes. Number three. Consummation of mutual abiding. Amen. What's another good, a great word for that? Um, mingling, yeah. Mingling. Amen. Mingling. Okay, say that one again. Okay. The consummation of mutual abiding, mingling, of God and His redeemed people. Amen. Amen. The next one is... Okay. Consummation of the believer's transformation and glorification. Amen. Yes. God as God as life supply and to all his people. Amen. Yes. Amen. The consummation of God as the life supply to all his people. Amen. And lastly, the consummation of the Bible and all the New Testament realities. Blessings. Blessings and reality. Amen. Good. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay. Okay. Now we'll uh, we'll we'll get into this outline. And uh, actually, this these verses are packed. What? You want to do? Okay. Two more. Two more. Okay. Last two brothers. Okay, brothers. What is the New Jerusalem not? Um, 
physical building? Physical and material building, yes. Yeah. So what is it? All right. It is God's building. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And what's the first point? Consummation of God's divine romance. Okay, the divine romance in the Bible uh, between who? You and God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. God is the husband and his people are uh, his bride. Okay, next point. The consummation of God's building. Amen. Amen. Yes. We see that in what? The tabernacle? Oh, and the temple. Yes, good, okay. See. And then the consummation of, of the mutual abiding, mingling, mingling right. of God and his people. Amen, good. And his redeemed, yeah, his yes. people. Okay? Consummation of the believer's transformation and glorification. Good, amen. Okay? Consummation of, of God's... Of God as? His life supply to his people. <laughs> yes, as a life supply to his people. Okay. And finally, the consummation of the Bible and the New Testament, all, all the New Testament blessing and reality. Amen. Okay, good. Okay, brother, good. Okay, thank you. Good job, brother. Good job. Okay. Okay, let's uh, look under A, under the consummation of the divine romance, and let's have brothers read Revelation 21.2 and sisters the verse right after that. Ready? Go. Sisters. Amen. Okay. A bride is a bride for a day. And uh, we know the kingdom period of a thousand years is the wedding day. That's when the New Jerusalem is the bride. Okay. Then a wife is a wife for, in this case, eternity. Okay. It's not till death do us, do us part. It's uh, we never part. We're joined with the Lord for eternity. Okay, now this thought of this divine romance is all throughout the Bible. Even you can pick up this thought in the Old Testament. So in Isaiah 54, 5 is just one of a number of verses. It says, for your maker is your husband. Jehovah of hosts is his name. And then Jeremiah three fourteen, return, O apostate children, declares Jehovah, for I am a husband to you. So this thought is there in the Old Testament as well. God is a husband to his people. And then you come to the New Testament. You have here in John 3.29, says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. And this is John the Baptist speaking. And this, the uh, scene here is that the disciples of John the Baptist were in a sense kind of complaining about uh, people, people were coming to the Lord and being baptized. They were, they were kind of complaining. And so John, uh, he said something wonderful. He said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom stands by and rejoices. So the bride here were the disciples, the people of God, and the bridegroom was Christ, and the friend of the bridegroom was John the, the Baptist. And then the next verse, I believe, he says, he, referring to Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. So John had a wonderful revelation about the Lord, that the Lord Jesus was a bridegroom to his people. And then uh, Paul also uh, refers to this in 2 Corinthians 11.2. Let's all read that together. So Paul did not pick up a natural thought. He picked up the God thought. In his ministry, in preaching the gospel and, and ministering Christ, his thought was, I am bringing these people to be betrothed to Christ. I'm bringing each one that I am uh, preaching the gospel to and ministering Christ to, I'm bringing this one into a love relationship with Christ, into a divine romance. And then he says even more in Ephesians 5, 25 and 27, he says, husbands, love your wives. And then he says, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might present the church to himself glorious. So Paul's thought because he picked up the divine thought, is that the church, as the, the uh, composition of the people of God, was what? It was a, 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 a bride to Christ. Uh, it was the wife of Christ. And this was the great mystery, Christ and the church. It seems like he was talking about just husbands and wives and the mysterious uh, fact of them being joined to be one flesh, but actually he was talking about something much greater, and that was Christ and the church being joined together in one spirit. So wonderful. So this thought is all throughout the Bible. So if in eternity 
we are going to be in a divine romance with God, how should we be today? We should live in that divine romance. And I'm going to tell you something very simple and very profound. I, I just read this recently. Okay, here it is. You ready? Very simple and very profound. If you love the Lord Jesus, tell him so. Very simple, but very profound. You just say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Now, you may, you may ask me, okay, but what if I don't feel like I love the Lord Jesus? What if I feel like I love the world? Or I feel like I love myself, or I love sin? Well, let me ask you, when has the Christian life ever been about feeling? The Christian life is not about feeling. It's not about appearance and what things appear to be. The Christian life is about faith. So you in faith, every day, no matter what your condition or situation, you need to tell the Lord, Lord Jesus, I love you. And the more you tell the Lord that you love him, the more you really will love him. This is how to practice being in this divine romance. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, okay, be the consummation of God's building, the tabernacle and the, the temple. Now we're getting into these next two points are a little bit, uh, I don't know if you say complex, they're profound. So we're going we're gonna to go through them and hopefully you'll just, you just need to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation because there's a lot here. Okay, Revelation 21, 3a and, and 22 and 18 and 19 and 21. Let's all read together. Go. Okay, so the first two verses here, we have the tabernacle of God, and then we have that the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So you have a tabernacle, and you have a temple. In the Old Testament, you also had the tabernacle, and you had the temple. The tabernacle was a movable dwelling place of God. God actually lived in this movable physical place of the, the tabernacle. Uh, of course, that's a type of a reality, as we'll see, but this is where God lived. Okay, then you had... The temple, eventually the tabernacle became an immovable dwelling place, which was called, I mean, yeah, an immovable temple, uh, an immovable dwelling place, which is called the temple. And, you know, the temple actually was where the priest also dwelt in. God lived there, but even some priests lived in this physical building. And so this represents a reality that God lives in the New Jerusalem and man, we live in the New Jerusalem. So God lives there, and we live there. God lives in us, and we live in Him. So this is the reality. And there's a building work, and there's some items here. We have jasper, and jasper typifies the transmittable and communicable glory of God. God shines forth in Himself, but He wants to shine forth and be expressed in us. So it's transmittable, and it's communicable. And then the gold signifies what? The gold signifies the divine nature of God the Father. Then you have the pearls here, and the pearls signify, by the way, each one of these points could take many messages, and there have been many messages given on them, so I'm just stating facts here. You have to spend the time to get into them. But the pearls represent uh, what? The, the, uh, the son's overcoming death and his life-imparting resurrection. Okay, very, very significant. The pearls are very precious. You need to, need to study this. And then the precious stones signify what? the Spirit in His transforming work. And you know, uh, how do precious stones come about? They come about through heat and pressure in a certain kind of environment. And I learned that uh, how a stone, uh, what kind of a precious stone it is, is determined by the environment that it's placed. Uh, I mean, I don't know all the technicalities of that, but if you place this one stone in this environment, you get the heat and pressure and a long period of time, and you put that same stone in a same very similar stone in another kind of environment, you'll have two different kinds of precious stones. So uh, don't despise your environment. The Lord has placed you in just the right environment. 
You may think, oh, this is the worst place. This is the worst dirt that I'm in. But who knows? The Lord placed you there, and one day, you, you can't see it now, but one day it will be uh, obvious to everyone, and it will be expressed to everyone what the Spirit is working into you. And there will be a certain kind of, of a precious stone expression in you. So don't despise your environment. Thank the Lord for your environment. The Lord is working as the Spirit in you to produce something very precious. Okay, now these verses in uh, Revelation, we have uh, some, I guess you say, uh, some interpretation or some reality that's shown throughout uh, the, the New Testament. So in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This Word was Christ, and He was there in the flesh, and it said not only that He just lived among people, but He tabernacled among people. This was the actual Greek word, I think it's skene, which means a tent or literally a tabernacle. The Lord was a tabernacle among people. So the Lord was the reality of the tabernacle. Then in the next chapter, John 2, uh, the Lord, if you remember the story, the Lord came into the physical temple of God, and there were people that were buying and selling. And he got very angry, and he drove them out. And he said, don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Remember those three words, my father's house. So he drove them out of the temple, said, my father's house. Then he says, destroy this temple, a little later on, and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, they're like, what are you talking about? This thing was built in 46 years, and you're going to raise it up in three days? And John interpreted what the Lord said and said, but he spoke of the temple of his body. So here we see that the Lord is not only the tabernacle of God, but he was the real temple of God. God was no longer going to be in that physical temple. Now God dwelt in Christ. And so Colossians 2.9 says, All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily. So Christ on the earth was the dwelling place of God. But then in, in 1 Corinthians 3, it says that you, that's referring to the church, are God's cultivated land, God's building. So now the church is the building. And then he says, If anyone builds upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones... We have to be careful how we build, because if we use wood, hand, stubble, the natural, earth, earthly, fleshly things, uh, the fire will burn it away. But if we build with gold, silver, precious stones, referring to the, the operation of the divine trinity, then that will remain, and it will be part of the building. Then he says, do you not know that you, he's talking about the church in Corinth, which, by the way, was a mess. If you read the, about the church in Corinth, you're like, I don't want to be in that church. Uh, but yet he said, do you not know that you are the temple of God? You, church in Corinth, who right now, your condition is very, very bad. Still, you are the temple of God and God is dwelling in you. So now God is not only in Christ when he was on the earth, but now he's been enlarged into the church. And now he dwells in the church. And Ephesians 2, he mentions the same thing. In whom all the buildings, talking about the church, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. It's a spiritual building, not a physical building. Then in 1 Timothy, the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And then Peter also mentions this. You yourselves also as living stones, so not physical stones, but living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So all these verses tell us that the dwelling place of God, the building, the house of God is in Christ and it's in the church as, as the enlarged Christ. Okay, uh, so let's go to C. And C actually clarifies a little bit more about this mutual uh, uh, abiding and blending and building of God. Um, these verses, uh, actually, I'd like to read these verses to you because I need to comment on them. These verses are packed. Uh, they're very profound, and uh, there's just a lot here. So I'm going to go step by step, and hopefully we will see something here. Okay, we've already mentioned John 14, 2. Uh, I mentioned earlier, and it says, in my Father's house. Now remember, in John 2, the Lord said, he, also, he used these words already, my Father's house, referring to what? Referring to the temple, but then he really refers to his body. So my Father's house here refers to Christ's body, okay? Not only individually, but also as the enlarged body of Christ. So in my Father's house are many, not mansions, but many abodes, many dwelling places. Actually, these abodes refer to us. 
We are the dwelling place of God, and we are all in the body of Christ, which is the Father's house. He said, if I were not so, I would have told you, but for I go to prepare a place for you. Next verse. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will receive you to myself. His going and his coming refer to his death and his resurrection. So he was going through death and coming in resurrection so that we would have a place in his body, which is the Father's house. Okay, you understand so far? Okay, it's going to get, uh, get even more. We'll get into more. Okay, he says, so that where I am, you also may be. Where was the Father? I mean, where was the Son? Where I am, where was he? He's in the Father, that's right. Because a few verses later, Philip said he got confused, as I'm sure some of you may be right now. Uh, Philip's like, okay, Lord, show us the Father. And then what did the Lord reply? He said, Philip, have I been so long a time with you and you have not seen the Father? If you see me, you see the Father. So the, the Son was in the Father, and the Son wanted to bring us into the Father. But the only way we can get into the Father is by getting into the Son. So the Lord had to go through death and return in resurrection so that we could get into him so that we could be where he was in the Father. Wow, it's wonderful. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to read on. In verse 20, he said, In that day, that should refer to the day of resurrection, uh, you will know that I am in my Father, and now you in me. Because in the day of resurrection, we saw earlier in this conference, was that not only was Christ became the firstborn, but we also were born and regenerated through his resurrection. So in this day, Christ is in the Father, and we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. And then he says in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, that's the Father and the Son, will come to him and make an abode with him. That word abode is the same word as the word for which King James translates mansion, as abode in verse 2. Okay. Now, are you thoroughly confused or a little bit more clear? Okay, that's okay, because the Lord himself, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he revealed this, uh, this building and this reality of, of oneness in a marvelous way. The Father's house in John 14, the Son's vine in chapter 15, the Spirit's child in chapter 16, and then in 18, 19, and 20, he went through the process of death and resurrection, but he realized... The, these guys don't get it. It's too great. And so in John 17, before he went through the process of death and resurrection, he prayed to the Father. So the whole chapter is just a long prayer. And what did he pray? Well, here's some of it. He prayed that they, that's the believers, all may be one. Even as, you need to underline that twice. Even as, how one should they be? Oneness where they're shaking hands over the fence, like I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, but we're still one, we're Christians. No, not that kind of oneness. It's the even as oneness, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. What kind of oneness in this is this? Actually, we don't really have anything kind of physical to describe this so, so well. Because how can, I mean, I can be one with my brother Ty, but Ty can't be in me and me and Ty. Impossible. But we can be in the Father and in the Son, and the Father and the Son with the Spirit can be in us. That's a mutual abiding, which is why we say here mutual abiding. That's a real mingling, a joining together in such a way that the parts are still distinct. They're still the triune God, and they're still us, but we cannot be separated anymore. We are one in the way of mingling, in the way another word theologians use is co-inherence. We, we mutually live in one another. Okay, and then it says, And the glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. He says it again, I in them, Christ in us, and you, Father, in me, that they may be perfected into one. Okay, so this is the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so God's thought is much greater than ours, and I hope you picked up some of that. Okay, let's, let's turn the page, and I have to move really quickly. Uh, so we have some other verses that, that describe this. Uh, Psalm 91, even in the Old Testament, there's this thought. O Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Then John 15, 4, New Testament, the Lord said, Abide in me, and I in you. There. How can two peoples abide in one another? I don't know, but in this case, it, it can happen. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him, uh, that's God, you are where? In Christ Jesus. So you're in Christ Jesus. Now the next verse, let's all read that. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. So who is in whom? Yeah, they're both. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. That's mutual abiding. Okay, now I'm going to, uh, you know, this, this next portion, the city of God, it's really uh, interesting and wonderful. I'm just going to mention some things here. It, it says that Abraham was waiting. He lived in tents, but he was eagerly waiting a city. And this city had an architect and a builder, which was God. The church, the building of, this, of the New Jerusalem and the church is not our building. We don't build it. God is the architect and he's the builder, although we can cooperate with him. Okay, he has prepared a city for them. That's Abraham and all these other ones in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. They had a good testimony of faith, but they never saw this actual city in reality. So they, they dwelt in tents. They wandered. They were in holes. You read that whole, whole uh, account in, in, uh, in, Ab in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You realize all these ones, they had a great testimony of faith, but they never quite reached this city that was prepared for them. But Paul was saying, but you, the believers today in the New Testament age, what does he say? You have come forward to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And even later on, he says, you've come to a better country. It says, have come. So in some sense, today even, we have already come to the new Jerusalem. So it's not only that we're going to the new Jerusalem, that we're becoming the new Jerusalem. Today, we've already come to the new Jerusalem because we're already in the church. And so we're in the new Jerusalem today, at least in miniature, at least in a kind of a, a, a foretaste. So I, I thought that was, that was really wonderful. So don't think your church is so bad. You know, where you're at, just realize that's at least a little bit. It's a foretaste and a miniature of the New Jerusalem. So the church is a wonderful place. Okay, now uh, we come to, I'm going to go very quickly through this. We have the consummation of the believer's transformation and glorification. And we've already read some of these verses. Uh, basically, we see here in these verses, and you can study them later, that the triune God is operating in us with His life and with His nature until we bear Christ's image and shine forth His light. We need to have a prayer before the Lord. Lord, don't let any dark part remain in me. Because it talks about here that the city bears the glory of God and it shines forth the light of God. And this it's pure gold, but it's transparent. It's clear as glass. So we need to be, if we want to match the new Jerusalem, today we need to be transparent. We need to be clear. We need to shine forth God in a clear way to others so that we can match the new Jerusalem. And you have these verses that show that God is light, Christ is the light of the world, but then the Lord says to His disciples, you are the light of the world. And the righteous, these are the overcoming believers, will shine forth like the sun. And this happens in John 12. Uh, this happens, or I should say, this shining of the Lord's light really is a kind of magnification of Christ. And John 12 talks about this magnification. He had to go through death like a grain of wheat so that in resurrection he could come forth in a multiplied way, in a magnified way. So uh, Paul says in Philippians, Christ could even be magnified in his body. So, so God is shining in Christ, but eventually he wants to shine through all of us. And that will consummate in the New Jerusalem as the ultimate shining of God. And you can, if you study the New Jerusalem in this line of light, you can see that God is the light of this New Jerusalem, that the Lamb is the lamp of the New Jerusalem, and the whole city, which is composed of all of us, is kind of like the diffuser of this lamp. So you have the lamp shining forth the light, but then it's spread out and magnified and diffused through the whole city. And the nations at that time will walk by this light. So may the nations today, that means all those around us, walk by the Christ that's shining through us. Okay, and then finally in E, in four minutes, we have the consummation of God as the life supply to His people. And let's read those verses, 22, 1 through 3. Go. Amen. Okay, so here you have a river coming out of the throne of God and the Lamb, and it's in the middle of a street, and growing on this side of the river, and on that side of the river was a tree, and it must not have been a pine tree shooting up into the sky. It must have been a vine tree because it grew on both sides. And so we see in John 15 that, that the Lord himself was the vine tree. He said, I am the 
vine, you are the branches. So the tree of life here refers to Christ. And what does the river here refer to? It refers to the Spirit. And these verses are very good. Let's shoot down to John 4.14. The Lord said, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water gushing up into eternal life. So when we drink of the water that comes from Christ, this water becomes in us a fountain gushing up. So right now, there is in your being a fountain that wants to gush up into eternal life. And then in John 7, 37 through 39, the Lord here again is saying, come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being is not only a fountain installed that wants to gush up, but out of his innermost being comes rivers of living water. And the Lord interprets these rivers. He says, this is what? The Spirit. So we know very clearly, the tree of life refers to Christ, the rivers refers to the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13, I love this verse. Let's all read that together. Yes, so in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And we were put in a, in a just perfect position to do what? To drink the Spirit. So hopefully all of us, as we're sitting here, you know, it's the last day, we wouldn't just be in our thinking, but we would be drinking. And I would encourage any of you, if you have some thought, to be baptized. This is another great reason to be baptized. Because when you're baptized into the body of Christ, you're put into a position where you can freely drink the Spirit. Okay, uh, and then, of course, these last two verses of John just show that that uh, we need to eat the Lord. He is the tree of life, and when we eat Him, we live because of Him. So in this city, God is the life supply to His people for eternity. If that's the case, then today, what do we need to do? We need to eat, and we need to drink. Every day, from the very moment you, uh, like Carrie said, He enters uh, what the atmosphere, uh, we need to eat the Lord and drink the Lord. Okay, then finally, we have the consummation of the Bible and all New Testament blessings and realities. There's so much regarding the New Jerusalem that I just put in here just little kind of snippets uh, from chapters 21 and 22, and I'll just read it. You have the new heaven and new earth. That means all of us should be new. We have the sea is no more. That refers to God's judgment. There's no more judgment from God. We have a holy city. So what should we be today? Holy, yeah. We need to be sanctified from being common like everyone else to being uncommon, separated to God. Uh, and again, we have the new Jerusalem. It had a great and high wall. We need to have a wall in our being that's great and high to protect the interest of God and keep out everything negative. And then it had 12 gates. Okay, uh, we won't get into that. There will be no night. There will be no longer a, a curse. His slaves, that's us, will serve the Lord for eternity. And then it ends here, they will reign forever and ever. Amen. We will reign with Christ forever and ever. Amen. So may our prayer again be, O oh Lord Jesus, make me match the new Jerusalem in every way. Amen. Let's say that together. O oh Lord Jesus, make me match the new Jerusalem in every way. Okay, we'll conclude here.